Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. This is uh, the fourth in a series on marriage, parenting, family, and I've been married 51 years. Those of you who were at the our marriage conference, you know, you know, I wasn't always doing good stuff in my marriage. The last 30 years, yeah, not the first 20. So today I'm here to give you not only a teaching but a witness. So Lord, just be with us and help us and bless us as we deal with our maleness and our femaleness as we get knit together in the body, as we are full of the Holy Spirit, and as we grow up in you. And then, Lord, we just ask that you help us discern if you're calling us to get married or be celibate or what. But help us to walk out this amazing vision that Jesus has given us about who we are and how we do sex or no, how we do marriage, how we do family, parenting. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A guy at Oxford University, a professor, is teaching a course at Oxford. They have two courses there. You can choose one of them uh, on Christianity. One is sexuality and family in the Christian tradition. The other one's politics. This guy's teaching about sexuality and family in the Christian tradition. And he's go, he starts with Genesis, and he goes all the way through the Scripture, and he's going into the Christian tradition about it. And about halfway through, a young woman from class who's not churched at all, who never heard of the Scriptures, who's just taken a course because you got to take one of two, she comes up to him and she says this, the Christian vision of human sexuality, marriage, and family is the best news I have ever heard. At that time, she's living with her boyfriend. She's never had any idea about what who she is, that she's a divine image bearer. What's that? He continues teaching the course, and she comes back up to him a little later and says, you know, the, living with my boyfriend's not what I'm supposed to do. So I've left and I'm looking, I found a church. And last week I gave my life to Jesus. And the, the teacher turns to us and he says, you know, she says this is the best news she has ever heard. Do we really believe that? Actually, she lives in a pluralistic culture. She's in Oxford near London. She knows that there's at least three other options I can mention to you very quickly. There's the naturalistic option that says that the right to choose is the only absolute in the world, and you're really not sure whether your gender conforms to your genitals, frankly. That's what's going on. Huge amount of confusion. That it, this vision dismembers love over here, sex, Parenting family. Just think of your four fingers ripped off your hand and just stuck around the room. It's painful what's going on right now. It is not good news. 
A second vision is Islam, and I think Muhammad did some good in the world, though obviously radical Islam has done some bad, but at least he told people there was one God. But one thing about Islam is that his vision of women suffers. Paradise, for in the Quran, I've read it, talked to leaders in the Islam community about it, paradise for the Islam community is every man in paradise, every male, gets a supply of perpetual female virgins forever. That's not what I call a high vision of this. Hare Krishna, one of my close friends, has become a devotee. And she's married to a Christian man. This is the East. This represents the Hinduism, the great religions of the East, Buddhism. But that whole tradition has a negative vision of the Bible. I mean, of, of the body. And this woman, the, what she's being taught is the sooner in your marriage you can stop having sex, the more spiritual you are. So this young woman in that class at Oxford knows about all this. So she hears the Christian vision, and she gets it. This isn't a little box we're in today. This is big. The whole Christian vision of who we are. But Jesus, when you start reading in the Gospels, I find that, the, you know, today I'm going to talk about Matthew 19, but Jesus wasn't talking about sex, marriage, and family for 18 chapters before that. He was talking about his restoration plan for the planet. For, for the 18 chapters before, and the main thing, that the main thing is that Jesus brings a new creation, a new community, and new allegiance to us, and calls us into this new, this new creation before he ever says a word about marriage. Marriage and family only have meaning. Sex. I grew up where and the sexual revolution was kicking off when I first got married. Everybody's concerned about having the best sex. Sex has been cut off from being a dad. You know, the whole thing is dismembered. But all of this, sexuality, marriage, and family has the greatest meaning when it's placed inside the purposes of God to redeem and renew the earth. i just say this right here. I got two children, a, a daughter-in-love and a son-in-love and eight grandkids. We're going to get together today, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit there and say, this story's turned out to be about heaven because love won. But it was a close call because of me. It almost turned out to be a story about a lot of hell because unfaithfulness almost won. See, this is the big picture. So when I look at my grandkids and they're following Jesus and they're going up and in all the time, I say, yeah, yeah. That was what that really good lovemaking with Donna was about from the beginning. It wasn't just about me having a good time. It was about, it was about that. And God, God's jumping up and down about naked bodies in Genesis 1 and 2. But it's about a lot more. You know, we're not guppies. 
impregnate the female and we swim off. You know, never to be seen again. That's not what we do. So Jesus, the head, is coaching us, and he's about restoring us to him in the beginning. I call it him the coach here. I'm not disrespecting Jesus. He is my Lord. But maybe we get an idea. The coaches I had, and I had eight, I had eight years of playing basketball and football. The coaches I had cast a vision. They declared your identity, and they gave you commands. There never was a coach who gave me a suggestion. It was a command. You know who you are. I cast the vision. Go do it. It's not a box you're in. It's what you do if you know who you are. So in Matthew 1 to 18, he describes giving life, healing, and liberation to us. Jesus is not fixing marriage. It didn't need to be fixed. We did. People say, I have marriage problems. No, you don't. You got a people problem. And you're probably one of them, since there's only two of you. 50% chance you're a problem. If you got a marriage problem, you're the problem. So it's really better if you quit using that language because you're avoiding accountability. You don't want, you know, you don't want this. You don't want it on you. Just say, I did it. And hopefully your spouse will say, I did it. And you can both cry out, God, be merciful to us sinners. That was the beginning of the way back for us in 1989. In the Gospels, family's not first, kingdom is. So 65 times in Matthew, it says, the kingdom of God is here, turn and believe the good news, or something like that. Kingdom is referenced 65 times. In other words, something has happened that has changed the world forever. Donna and I live, like, live in that reality all the time. It's fun. It also says the kingdom of God will come to bring heaven to earth. There's hope. So the admonition is not seek sex, not seek to be married, but seek the kingdom and his rule and his righteousness. Receive the immersion of the Spirit. John baptized in water. Jesus immerses you in the presence of God. The good news about Jesus compared to the Eastern religions and to Islam is that the presence of God is back among the people of God. There is no doctrine of the Holy Spirit in Islam. It makes it a grinding due religion, not what God has done. Receive the immersion. The presence gives life. It recovers your prayer life. It gives us family. And the thing that Jesus did in the desert is he bound Satan. It, you know, scholars read this, and there's not a place where it exactly says it, but when he starts ministering, he starts kicking Satan out of people's lives. He can only do that because he's bound the strong man. So there's no power in you that's going to destroy you. There's no power in you that's going to keep you, if you get married, from growing up together. The power of the Spirit is in charge. We have to realize, we have to understand that. Too many people go to a counselor and the counselor says, my gosh, after 45 minutes, I've had this happen to my best friends. Have you thought about divorce? So the reason, one of the reasons for that is that they have no sense of how we can grow. I can tell you, I look back at what I did in 1985 and all I have are expletives for me. I just think you, Blankety blank, what are, what's wrong with you? 
And one of the reasons I don't comprehend what I did in 1980 is because I'm different. It's been painful, but the Holy Spirit grows us. Jesus said, follow me. And he really wasn't into making us all feel good about marriage. He says, follow me and hate your own mother. And they all said, what? What he was really saying was using hyperbole to say it's about allegiance. This whole thing has got to start off with you not believing in your marriage, not believing in your spouse, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. 269 times in the four Gospels, the word disciple is used. It's full body. Get your body out there. Start walking. Follow me. It involves the right brain and the left brain. It engages everything and who we are. He wants us, as we follow him, before you ever think you might get married, Jesus teaches you to find out if there's something you're willing to suffer for. Because in the middle of his walk, he tells him he's going to go down across, and he says, are you willing to do this for me, with me? If you don't know what you can, you're willing to suffer for, you shouldn't get married. Discipleship has got to grow us up so we know that, and that we will suffer for Jesus, and we will suffer for doing what he said. Also, Jesus discipled women. Women, see, according to the rabbis, were what I call recyclables. You recycled women. And, and you, could, you could divorce them for mo most any reason. Jesus says they are not recyclables. No rabbi ever, ever in the time of Jesus discipled women Jesus did. They are our kingdom partners. Now, nobody, he's not even talking about marriage when he does this. He tells, he tells Martha, Mary is is allowing me to disciple her, you need to do that as well. You don't realize that this has tremendous implications for marriage. He wants us to learn how to look at women. He wants women to learn how to look at men and to really see who they are. What I'm concerned about now is lust is in. Lust is fast and inhuman. Lo making love is slow and human. And when we are running too fast, we don't have time for prayer, and we don't have time for lovemaking. We only have time for porn. We're just going too fast. Y'all are really quiet about that. Are you there? Also, Jesus calls us to plant our lives and our marriages in the church. Some people say he didn't say anything about church. Actually, he was doing church all the time. You know, he called 12. He didn't call 11, and he didn't call 13. He called 12. And anybody who read their scriptures knew what he was doing. He was saying, I'm reconstituting the people of God. It's all obliterated. The priests are gone. The kings are gone. The prophets are, are silent. Pharisees and Sadducees fight over scriptures every day. They, they figured out how to run off everybody that needs God, making all these rules up. He says, I'm reconstituting the people of God. We are to plant our lives in the church garden. Anybody here in this room, you need to plant your life as a celibate, non, you know, unmarried person in the covenant culture of church. Where you plant your life is more important than what you plant. 
If you plant it on a sidewalk, it's not going to do well. It's a flower. You're a very fragile flower. It doesn't work. These are garden churches. Yeah, the church is messed up, but man, this is a friendly place. This is a lovely place. I don't know any other place I can go like this. You know, people make fun of it, all that. It's got hypocrites. I'm one of them. But it's really important to plant our lives there where there's no divorce whisperers. Because, see, this is a great undertaking we're talking about that involves multiple generations. Because it does, faithfulness is huge. Because, see, this isn't micro. This is slow growing up into the image of God. You will become a place of blessing if you do this. What I've realized when I was just concerned about am I I having good sex in my marriage, what I've realized is that God redeemed my life so I could bless my parents who were dying, so I could bless my wife instead of scaring her to death with things I was doing, so I could bless Jimmy and Don Jolie, my kids, and so I could bless eight grandkids and I could transmit the faith to all of them. Because we're, we didn't divorce and break up, I get to share the faith with, today I'll share the faith with 13 people. And they know I've suffered and they know I'm all screwed up, but they listen. See, that's why faithfulness. If we'd blown it up, Donna would try to be, she'd be trying to come to this, today's meeting of our family and then I'd come later. The church is not a collection of families. It is family. And my marriage is this church's business. Your marriage is my business because we are members one of another. I'm helping you live faithfully because I don't have the, I want to tell you, I don't have the power in me to live faithfully. You got to breathe on me and pray for me for me to do this. And you got, you need the same. And the singles in this room, your life is my business and my life is your business. And you know stuff I don't know. You all belong here. This is the body of Christ. We're not 500 marbles who roll in here and then roll out. 500 marbles just roll out into that into Fort Worth. Nobody knows where the marbles went. It's like a concert instead of a church. That's not what we do here. We are the body of Christ. And what we're doing here is traditioning Handing down the faith once for all that I'm willing to die for to my kids and my grandkids. And that's what I get to do till I'm dead. And it won't be long, but that's why I'm here. And being faithful sexually served the purposes of God. That's what I know now at 77 that at 26, I was just a deer in headlights. Oh, the sexual revolution's taken off. I want to have fun. That, you know, I'm, in, I, I start dismembering my life. Jesus wants to help us get good at nails love, cross love. When Paul talks about love, he didn't mention love because nobody knows what it is. He says cross. We know what that is. You know, loving your men, enemies, loving those who hurt you. Living is living nails love. So nails love holds Don and I together, 
not how we felt in 1968. Forgiveness and reconciliation, any marriage has got to be the union of two really, really good forgivers. There was a crazy old movie back in 1970, Love Story, crazy movie. And the movie, in the movie had one idiotic line. It said, love is having, never having to say you're sorry. I thought, man, I'm in deep trouble here. Because I've already said it 300 times. I've only been married two years. Must be something wrong with me. And actually, that was just nonsense. Great movie, just nonsense. Mythologies of our culture. We got all kinds of mythologies floating around. Forgiveness and reconciliation. I also encourage you to eat the Lord's Supper a lot because when you eat it, we are, as we eat the Lord's Supper, we discern that we're eating it with the body. And so the problem in 1 Corinthians 11 is they don't discern each other. I found that the Lord's Supper is the best marriage counseling I get on a regular basis. Let me explain. 40 years ago, I'm having the Lord's Supper with my aunt and uncle and four or five other loved ones. And suddenly my aunt and uncle say, we can't uh, have the Lord's Supper today. We were having it in a house, evening, just a supper of family. And I said, why? I didn't say it quite like that, but I said, why? They said, because we're not one. We, we have unforgiveness between us. We need to leave the altar, so to speak, and reconcile. And I, I never forgot that. I thought, wow, the Lord is really working in this room. Those people stayed married forever till he died in 2007 for 35, 40 more years. A lovely relationship of service. That's the counsel, the communion, the Lord's table gives us. So let's come to Matthew 19 for a few minutes. The passage about, about marriage and divorce. You're aware of it. Jesus, the head, what I call it is the head coach answers a bad question about marriage and divorce. Now, just look at what's being asked here. The question is not about the rights of men and women to get divorces. It is only about the rights of the Jewish man to repudiate his wife publicly, to which there would be no appeal. Women were recyclable. So if, I mean, literally, I'm not being uh, cute about that. You got rid of her and she got recycled and somebody else married her. I kind of wonder where did the purposes of God get worked out and all that? You know, because where did the kids go? You know, we've got something now where everybody's recyclable. And so everybody's going in every direction. So this is a question. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went in the region of Judea. Large crowds followed him and he healed them. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. So they're asking Jesus, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? And what he's saying is, there were over 170 chapters before Deuteronomy 24, and you didn't read those. You just read Deuteronomy 24, which seemed to be the escape hatch. So he says, from the beginning, 
God made them male and female. And in that very passage, Genesis 1.27, it says, Women are divine image bearers, co-equal with men. This is astounding. This, in the culture you're in right now, people don't believe this. There's something sacred going on here. My professor in family law at SMU long ago one day just blurted out, the sanctity of marriage no longer exists in Texas. I didn't know where that was coming from. He'd said it painfully. We have forgotten that we are divine image bearers. There's none of us are recyclable. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So it, God, when, if you're married, God came and married you. If Jamie did the ceremony, he didn't marry you. The heavenlies married you. Sacrament is when the invisible God intersects with human bodies. This, this, I, I began to, to, every time I would do a wedding, I was in awe because I would think, man, I'm going to be up there. And the fire, the holy fire is going to marry these people right in front of me. I hope he doesn't burn me up in, in doing it. This is a sacrament. That's what sacrament means. Don't, don't go anywhere else with it. So Jesus, this is really, this is something they haven't ever heard. All they've done is talk about what is the escape hatch from marriage. That's not edifying. That's simply not edifying. For this reason, they shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Why then did they ask, they ask, did Moses command that man to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, he was accommodating the hard hearts. Jesus was really into the heart. The biggest issue in my life has been God getting a hold of my desiring life. Not my rational life. Desiring life. That's what the heart is. And when you have heart disease, that means your desiring life is sick. You cannot do marriage, and you really can't do church much. Because if you, if you get, you know, the wrong thing happens, you just go off. The desiring, he's, he's interested in redeeming and restoring our desiring life. In other words, I, ha, you know, I realized that as a disciple, I had heart disease. That is my fault. The Holy Spirit's in me. Why would I have heart disease? So this is the whole passage here is, is calling us to repent and turn to him. So look at what happens here. He, he says, Moses permitted this because your hearts were hard, but, that, but the kingdom's come now, and I'm changing hearts. I am, the per, I am the medicine for hard hearts. I'm the medicine for the heart disease of the planet. So I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness marries another woman, commits adultery. Oh, my goodness, the disciples. Now, lo, look at this. This isn't the Pharisees saying this. His disciples said it. That's not good. Jesus' disciples still think women are recyclable. Just like now. Divorce rate all over the country is not that different, except among people who are disciples, and then it's different. 
were following Jesus all the time and with his people a lot. They said, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Now, I'll go on in just a minute with that, but let's talk about the heart a minute. Because you're in this room and you're born again and you think that's fine and it's not. If we're five five years in or ten years in and still talking about being born again, we need to move the conversation on. Let me tell you a story to illustrate it. John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, he was saved in 1948 on a slave ship. He continued slave trading with several more trips to Africa and the Americas, carrying 200 slaves, many of them dying in the hull of the ship for 10 more years after being saved. Then he has a stroke. And then while he's praying and seeking and searching God, he suddenly sees, my God, I have been selling human beings and they've been dying in the ship. That's when he wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote Amazing Grace 24 years after he got saved. For all the sins God forgave after he became a Christian. As we hear this this morning, let's know that God is gracious to us to even bring us here. That his spirit is transformative. That he's giving us gratitude and humility and hope. I don't say this to discourage you. I say it to encourage you. Jesus goes on to say that not everybody who hears this word can can accept it, only those to whom it is given. That's interesting. You say, I don't know, I asked eight grandkids, do you want to get married? Two said no. I thought, kind of, what's wrong with you? Then I thought, wait a minute. They haven't been given the gift. Jesus says that we marry when it's been given to us. Marriage is not a command, it's a gift and a vocation. And so Jesus It's the celibacy, living a life without sexual intercourse as a single person is the most decisive, unusual mark of the of the kingdom community in the new age. Renunciation of sexual intimacy for the sake of the purposes of God in your life for a season or a lifetime is a work of God. Then Jesus turns to the children. And I'll say this and we'll stop here because we're, we're running out of time. And what I love is they're not letting the kids come to him. I don't know why. He said, let the children come to me. And then he says the most amazing thing, and they're all thinking, you're out of your mind. He says, of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he doesn't say, let the little boys come to me. He says, let the children come to me, everybody, boys and girls, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. So what I'm telling you here as we close and why don't we, why don't we just uh, have the, uh, everybody stand up. I, we don't have a transition much with me. I, transition, I've already wiped out the time. Would the, the praise band and those who are in prayer ministry come? We want you to have time to come and me to be quiet here. Well, all I want to tell you is you're coming. Everything is connected. Don't believe the people that push sex over here, marriage over here. When the purposes of the Creator God are being lived out in your life, celibacy, human sexuality, marriage, and parenting, you're going to see how all of this is connected with four generations, with handing down the faith. 
You know what? When I repented of my sins in 1989, when I thought I wanted to divorce my wife, I started living in a bigger world. Jesus is bigger than the sun, the moon, and the stars. So this morning, if you have, if you have need of any kind, you walk in here with needs, come and pray with these wonderful people. If you have need to just start living in a bigger life, a bigger life. For example, a sex addiction gets you into a very small life. Just be humble enough. I had a romance addiction. Stupid. Really stupid. Living in a really small world. If you need prayers to live in a big world, the, the world of Jesus Christ the Lord, would you, would you come as, as we pray and as we sing?